Um, I want you now to take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. Thank you for standing as we open God's Word together. Matthew chapter 27. I'm going to read verse 46, and as you're finding uh, your place there, uh, let me also reiterate what Pastor Ben said earlier. A big welcome to uh, guests. I've um, uh, met guests this morning from North Georgia and South Georgia and even uh, the Beck family all the way from Florida this morning. So we're glad that y'all are here and uh, glad that if you're a guest that you're just uh, choosing to worship with us this morning, make yourself at home. We're going to uh, just ask the Spirit of God to speak to us through His Word about experiencing the cross. Verse 46, at about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, we perhaps will never this side of heaven and perhaps in eternity be able to wrap our minds around what the cross caused you to go through and experience. But I pray that today we will make a commitment to not only believe the message of the cross, but to experience the cross to the degree you want us to embrace it in our lives through identification with you. Show us what that means. Show us what it doesn't mean. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Let me ask you a question. Let's imagine for a moment that I came to you this morning and someone had handed me a couple of vacation packages that included all expense-paid trips to Hawaii. You will be staying in the nicest resorts. You will fly first class. You will have all of your meals taken care of. The, the trip is not going to cost you a thing. The, the, the flight itself, the stay, all of the experiences that you can get on all the tourist attractions. You're going to be at the front of the lines. Every, it's going to be the most wonderful vacation in the world. How many of you would gladly, if I were to offer that to you this morning, how many of you would gladly receive a gift like that? Anybody raise your hand. All right. Most of us. There's a few people who are like, nope, not me. What if I were to also say, listen, I have the ability to see the future. And the trip is going to be great, especially once you get there. You're going to love Hawaii. It's going to be a wonderful time. You'll be able to stay as long as you want, but here's the thing. Um, in my foresight, my vision of the future, I know this. In the plane, you're going to face a lot of turbulence. Uh, things are going to get to rocking and rolling a little bit on that flight. But that's okay. I've seen the future. You're not going to crash. The plane's going to stay in the air just with a lot of turbulence. As a matter of fact, what you don't realize is there's even going to be a terrorist on the plane. But that terrorist will be apprehended. He might scare a few folks, but that terrorist is going to actually be apprehended. He's going to be punished forever for all of his actions. And you're going to get to enjoy Hawaii once you get there. How many of you might rethink the package if you thought, well, he says he sees the future, but there's going to be a terrorist on the plane and there's going to be a lot of turbulence. 
Now, how many of you who raised your hand a moment ago say, I might have to rethink that package? Raise your hand. All right, some of you, some of you are like, well, if you really see the future and you know that I'm going to get there safely, I'm going to get on board. You know what? Because, you know, it, it, maybe I have a hard time traveling. Maybe I have a hard time with a lot of things. Maybe I would never be able to afford a trip like that. And so I'm going to take my chances. I'm, I'm getting on board. I think that's what Jesus is talking about when he says we need to count the cost of discipleship. The truth of the matter is, the gospel doesn't cost you a thing. Heaven and abundant and eternal life in Christ is freely given to you by Christ, freely received. You could never do anything to earn it or deserve it. But God tells us in His Scripture, God who sees the beginning and the end, Jesus Christ Himself has warned throughout the Gospel of Matthew, as we've seen again and again, that there are going to be turbulent times on the journey. It's called the narrow road, isn't it? There's going to be turbulent times, and we have a terrorist. His name is the devil. He's an enemy seeking whom he may devour. He's going to try to raise up his head again and again and again, but he is going to ultimately fail and be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. And what I'm saying is you're going to a wonderful place if you have faith in Christ. Not only that, in, through faith in Christ, you're on a wonderful journey. It's just that in that journey, you will face turbulence. And you will face terror from time to time. But Jesus said, be of good cheer. I am with you. Now, we're not guided by our experience, which can often be misinterpreted in life. We are guided by truth, however. God's Word is truth. And we are guided by truth that leads us to genuine experience in life. In other words, I do not embrace the faith because of experiences that have taken place. I embrace the faith because of truth that was revealed. But God's truth that is revealed can be experienced and lived out and expressed. So I don't want you to simply hear the truth of the cross this morning. I want you to embrace the experience of the cross. I want you to ask yourself the question, am I on board no matter what? Remember last week we looked at the message of the transfiguration and they were receiving a foretaste of God's glory on that mountain, and Peter wanted to camp out on the mountaintop and say, man, let it just be wonderful here all the time. But Jesus had to remind them that they, they would come off of that mountain, that they had to embrace the valleys of life as well. Psalm 23, 4 perhaps came to their mind, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. And so there will be valleys in this life. There will be shaky times in this life. Philippians 3.10, Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. That speaks of identity. And so I want you to think of experiencing the cross this morning in terms of identifying with Jesus Christ. See, do we want to identify with Jesus Christ just for the end, where we're going one day? Or are we willing to embrace the journey all that it means we will encounter as we get there. The trip's free, but there's a cost of discipleship. There will be consequences of discipleship. It all relates to identifying with Jesus Christ. Jesus called His disciples in Matthew chapter 16, and verse 24. We looked at this earlier. If, if you want to follow Me, you've got to take up your cross and follow Me. So the identification with Jesus Christ, is the experience of a cross. Paul refers to this end of self-life and beginning of a new life in Christ in Galatians chapter 2, and verse 20, when he says, I 
have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Jesus Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this flesh and blood, this earthly tent, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So we experience our own crucifixion. We experience the cross when we come to faith in Christ and when we live out the faith in Christ. Paul would later tell the Christians in Rome, in Romans 6, uh, verses 3 and 4, as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. Our water baptism is a picture of that death and the burial that we are identifying with Jesus Christ. And, but he goes on to say, so that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we too shall be raised to newness of life. And so we have to experience the cross in order for the resurrection to be real in us. So what does it mean to experience the cross and, and to identify with Christ? I want us to see as we look in the surrounding text of, of Matthew twenty-seven forty-six, as we look at the context of really this whole chapter here, that there are two areas of suffering that Christ endured that we will also endure if we identify with Him. If, if we're on board, it's a free trip. You're not going through this so that you might earn the right to go into heaven. The, the trip has been freely given through the cross of Christ. But when we're on board with Him, there are two areas where we will share in His cross. And then I want us to close with looking at a third area that we will not have to share in. As a matter of fact, we will cease to experience that third area the moment we come to identity with Christ and His cross and it'll be worth it all. Here's the first one. The first one of the two where we identify with Him. We are certain to experience rejection of men because Christ was rejected. That was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 53. He would be despised. The Messiah, when He came, He would be despised and rejected of men. We just sang it a moment ago. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Look at the beginning of chapter 27. When daybreak came, all of the chief priests, the elders of the people, plotted against Jesus to put Him to death. After tying Him up, they led Him away and handed Him over to Pilate, the governor. Let's skip down with me and we'll look at some of the passages in between in a moment. To verse 11, Jesus stood before the governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked. Jesus answered, you have said it. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he didn't answer. Then Pilate said to him, Don't you hear how much they are testifying against you? But he didn't answer him on even one charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Verse 24, is, as this presentation of Barabbas has taken place, it says, When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere... <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? If, if, if the world begins to interrogate us, they just finally have to back off because they're not getting anywhere. But that a riot was starting instead, he took some water, washed his hands in front of the crowd, said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. See, it was politically correct at that moment when Pilate had heard arguments and even presented arguments of his own and had to listen to a warning from his own wife, he came to the conclusion that it was politically correct 
to reject Christ and His claims and let Him suffer. Now we realize that God's sovereign hand was in all of that. We're in this life still called to be the salt of the earth. That's part of our identification with Christ. We're called to be the salt of the earth. But think about this. In that day, salt was a preservative to keep that which was already dead from decaying. Salt is a preservative not to keep something alive, but to keep that which was already dead from decaying. In other words, when sin entered this world, death entered this world, and this world became spiritually dead. Those who have been born again by faith and trust in what Christ did, we've become the salt of the earth to keep that which is already dead from decaying. So that this world might last until God accomplishes His purposes in this world. But we're told in Matthew 24 that lawlessness will increase in the last days. And the love of many will wax cold before Jesus returns. So we're already told in the Scriptures that this world is going to get worse. So don't let it surprise you. Don't let it shock you when human governments turn their back on Jesus Christ and reject the Word of God and all that He stands for, even as this nation has begun to do in so many ways. We're told in Scripture that's going to happen. However, we're to be salt of the earth and try to uh, be a preserving agent, having as much influence as we can so that we can win as many people to the gospel and, and lead as many people to Christ as we can until He returns to make all things new. You may experience rejection from those who know you well, like Judas. You go back to verses 3 and following, then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was full of remorse, returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders and said, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. Of course, they, their response was, well, too late, Judas. We appreciate it. Judas had betrayed Christ. Or think about even within his inner circle. You go back to the end of chapter 26, and Peter who was saying, I'm willing to die for you, and I'll never let anybody else harm you, was willing to deny Christ three times. You ever felt like Peter? Maybe the people that you're trying to reach. Maybe those that you're dying for would turn their back on you. John 1, 11, Jesus came to His own and His own received Him not. Look in chapter 27 again, beginning at verse 15. At the festival, the governor's custom was to release to the crowd a prisoner they wanted. Great picture that even the Roman government would endorse uh, some imagery of the Passover. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas so when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who is it you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. And while he was still sitting on the judge's bench, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for today I've suffered terribly in a dream because of him. The chief priests and the elders, however, persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to execute Jesus. The governor asked them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? Barabbas, they answered. 
Pilate asked them, What should I do then with Jesus, who is called Messiah? And they all answered, Crucify Him. Then He said, What has He done wrong? But they kept shouting, Crucify Him. Crucify Him. All the more. Crucify Him. When the Eastern Roman Emperor Valens threatened Eusebius in the 4th century with the confiscation of all of his goods, torture, banishment, even death. Here's how Eusebius replied. What what was he experiencing? He was uh, being identified with cross and the crucifixion of Christ. Here's how he answered. He needs not fear confiscation who has nothing to lose, nor banishment to whom heaven is his country, nor torments when his body can be destroyed at one blow, nor death, which is the only way, to set him at liberty from sin and sorrow. Eusebius was saying, you know what? If I identify with Christ in His sufferings, you're just making everything better for me. The Apostle Paul was like that. If I identify with Christ in His sufferings, he says, listen, to live is Christ. If you're going to let me live, I'm going to live in such a way as to glorify Christ on this earth. But to die is gain. If you kill me, then I have all heaven opened up to me at that very moment. And if you make me suffer, if you say, well, we're not going to let you live, we're not going to kill you, we're just going to make you suffer a while. In Romans 8, he says, the sufferings of this life aren't worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in me and through me, and the glory that will be revealed to me when I step into eternity. Rejected. Are we willing to identify with Christ in His rejection? Are we willing to be despised in rejection? You will experience rejection. But just remember, it's Christ. Serve Him. Allow Him to handle the rejection for you. One of the greatest fears men and women have on the earth today is the fear of rejection. That's why we're not sharing our faith. Remember, when you share your faith in Christ with a co-worker, and they reject the Gospel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. And Jesus can handle the rejection. When you share your faith, when you are a witness in your schools, They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ. See, most of you wouldn't have a problem. I've shared this illustration with our youth before. But most of you wouldn't have a problem. I'll pick on a couple of them. Let's say that Kent and Seth over here were at school. And Kent said, Seth, I really like that girl over there, but I'm I'm a little bit too, too scared to go talk to her about it. And Seth, you don't have to tell me if that's really happened before. But if Kent says, Seth, I really like that girl over there. I think she's cute. But I'm just a little nervous, a little shy about going to talk to her. Will you go over there and ask her if she likes me? That sounds fifth grade. I realize that. But, but we'll, no offense, fifth graders. Sorry. Uh, I, I really kind of like that girl. Will you go over there and find out if she likes me? And Seth has said, you know what? I'll be glad to. This is going to be fun. Seth wouldn't be nervous a bit. He would go over and, and he would say to this young lady, you see Kent over there, he kind of likes you. He wants to know if you like him. And if she says, no, I don't like him. He's a preacher's kid. I don't want to be around him. Is that going to bother Seth? Not at all. As a matter of fact, he might say, well, all right. 
I'll let him know. No biggie. Not nervous. Listen, when you stand for Christ, when you identify with Christ, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. So be bold and courageous in taking a stand for Him and be willing to be rejected with Him. Listen, not only rejected, but ridiculed. Secondly here, here's something else. You you will identify with Jesus in, in His being ridiculed. We are certain to experience the ridicule of men because Christ was ridiculed. Look at how He was mocked and ridiculed all the way to the cross and even on the cross. In Matthew chapter 27, again, starting with verse 27, it says, Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into headquarters, gathered the whole company around Him. They stripped Him and dressed Him in a scarlet robe. They twisted together a crown of thorns to put it on His head and placed a reed in His right hand. And they knelt down before Him and mocked Him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they spat at Him, took the reed and kept hitting Him on the head. This crown of thorns were being pressed into His head. Not just for the physical pain that they caused, and it did cause excruciating pain, but because of the spiritual and emotional pain of the mockery. Hell, King of the Jews. When they had mocked Him, they stripped Him of the robe. Many say that the blood would have clotted. The blood on His back from the 39 lashes would have clotted to the road by this time, and they yanked the robe back off of Him. Put His clothes on Him. Led Him away to crucify Him. Verse 35 After crucifying Him, they divided His clothes by casting lots. He's still on the cross here. He's still in agony. Then they sat down and were guarding Him there. And above His head, they put up a charge against Him. It was the writing, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. That bothered the Jews. But the Romans thought it was funny. Sometimes in life, it's not the physical pain that we go through that hurts as we identify with Christ. Sometimes in life, it's the emotional pain. It's being mocked. It's being made fun of or being put down because of your faith. Two criminals were crucified with Him. One on His right, one on His left. Verse 39, those who passed by yelling insults at Him, shaking their heads and saying, the one who would demolish the sanctuary and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way the chief priests, see even the religious crowd here, with the scribes and the elders mocked Him saying, He saved others, but He cannot save Himself. He is the King of Israel. Can you hear the, yeah, right, that's being expressed between the lines here. goes on to, Say in verse 43, has put his trust in God. Let God rescue him. If he wants him, for he said, I am God's son. The same way, even the criminals who were crucified with him kept taunting him. We know that eventually one gave up the taunting and put his faith and trust in Christ, and the other one taunted him to his own peril. Let me ask you, Does it bother you to be ridiculed? Have you been ridiculed to this degree? Are you willing to be ridiculed for the sake of Christ? Here's the thing. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Anyone 
And I think we all fit in that category of anyone, right? Anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There's going to be turbulence on the plane. There's going to be a terrorist on the plane. There's going to be persecution. You're going to get to your destination safely and surely, but you will suffer persecution for the cause of Christ. Archaeologists found a 3rd century drawing when they were excavating a Roman school, the remains of a Roman school. And in that drawing, there was a picture of the crucifixion, but instead of the head of Jesus, it was the head of a donkey, as this picture was making mockery. And in the picture was the drawing of a boy. And the boy was looking up with hands raised, worshiping the cross. And the caption was written at the bottom of this picture. Alexamenos worships his God. We'll just call him Alex. (laughs) Alex worships his God. Alex is faithful. See, all the way back in the 4th century at a Roman school for boys, a boy who was worshiping Jesus Christ was being mocked, made fun of by his peers. That hasn't ceased even to this day. As a matter of fact, as times get worse, the more we will be mocked and made fun of. The secular humanists are going to mock you. The atheists are going to mock you. People of other religions are going to mock you for your faith in Jesus Christ. Are you willing to be ridiculed by men because Christ was ridiculed for you? How and where will it be? See, not for your claims. They're going to mock you for your practice. If you determine to take a stand for Christ and live with integrity, you're going to be mocked. You're going to be ridiculed. If you decide you're going to live a godly life in Christ, if you're going to live pure, young people, if you're going to keep your life clean and make godly decisions that glorify God with your behavior, and you say, you know what, I'm not going to do things the world's way, I'm going to do things God's way, somebody's going to make fun of you. And in the midst of that ridicule, remember, Jesus Christ was on a cross being ridiculed for you. Are you willing to endure ridicule for Him. I don't know, Pastor, you, you're asking a lot there. It's sometimes hard. I'd rather, I'd rather just be, man, punched in the face than somebody to emotionally bully and ridicule me because of my faith. But Jesus went to a cross for us. And one day they'll understand the truth. I was flipping through my high school yearbook from my senior year What was interesting, some strong Christian friends, some that are in this place of worship even today, had written some encouraging notes about our faith and how we were getting ready to graduate. And, and, you know, through ups and downs, we had tried to stand for Christ and encourage one another, good times, bad times. We weren't always faithful. Most of the, you know, a lot of encouraging words from a lot lot of friends. But the one that struck me most was one who made fun of me the most for my faith. One who, who often ridiculed me and laughed, and, and, and I had lived in a certain way with him as a friend at one time, and even though we remained friends, I couldn't live in that way, and, and things had to be different, so it was kind of funny to him, so I thought. But he had signed my yearbook, and he said, you know what, I admire you for your stand. Your stand in what you believe in. So while they're making fun of you, they're really admiring you. Take a stand, and be willing to be ridiculed for the cause of Christ. He was willing to be ridiculed for you. Now, here's the third one. The third element. This is what you will cease to experience. You will cease to experience the wrath of God because Christ 
was our replacement. You will have to be rejected like He was rejected by men. You will be ridiculed by men because He was ridiculed by men. But here's the good news. All hell will not be poured out on you anymore because all hell was once for all poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross. Go back to verse 45. And then 46 where we started. From noon until three that afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. He said it first in the Aramaic. They didn't understand it, but the translators say what He was saying on that cross was, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? All hell was being poured out on Jesus. Jesus became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God because of Him. When we deserve death, hell, and the grave forever, All of that was poured out on Jesus in one moment in time so that we would never have to experience that through faith in Him. Listen to how Spurgeon put it. I've got an excerpt from his sermon on the cross. He says this, When God took Christ to to be the substitute, it is true that He, speaking of Jesus, did not send Him into eternal fire. But He poured upon Him, God the Father poured upon God the Son, grief so desperate that it was a valid payment for even an eternity of fire. See, Jesus was dying spiritually before He died physically. An eternity of fire was poured out on Him. He says, man was condemned to live forever in hell. God did not send Christ forever into hell, but He placed on Christ a punishment that was the equivalent for that. Although He did not give Christ to drink the actual hells of believers, yet He did give Him a quid pro quo, something that was equivalent thereunto. He took the cup. Listen, this is one of my most favorite quotes of any preacher that's ever preached. He took the cup of Christ's agony, and He put in there suffering, misery, anguish, such as only God can imagine or dream of. It was the exact equivalent for all the suffering, all the woe, and all the eternal tortures of everyone who shall at last stand in heaven, bought with the blood of Christ. Perhaps you say, did Christ drink it all to its dregs? Did He suffer it all? Yes, my brethren, He took the cup, and at one triumphant drought of love, He drank damnation dry. That's what Jesus did so that you would never have to experience the eternity of death. Verses 50 and 51, we see this miracle take place. Jesus shouted again with a loud voice and gave up His Spirit. He shouted at that point, It is finished. The price has been paid in full. Suddenly, the curtain in the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. There were two curtains in the temple. And many argue over which one of these curtains. To me, it really doesn't matter which curtain it was that was ripped because they both indicate the same thing. There was a curtain that separated the court of the Jews from the court of the Gentiles. And if it was that curtain, as it ripped from top to bottom, it illustrates that the gospel and the presence of Jesus Christ is free and available to whosoever will, Jew or Gentile, anybody on the face of the earth can come freely to Christ. 
there was another curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. That place where only the high priest could go in and make sacrifice and atonement for sin once a year. And if it was that veil that was torn from top to bottom, then we're told that we can all come boldly into God's presence now through the grace of God, through the blood of the cross, through the mercy of Christ. We all have access to the very presence and glory of God that's freely given because of the cross. Here's the message either way. Hell opened up on Jesus Christ when He was on that cross so that heaven could be opened up for me and you. And what He went through on the cross, we will never... You say, well, could we not be crucified? Could we not be physically punished? Yes. The apostles themselves experienced all kinds of torturous, agonizing, physical, physical deaths. But none of the apostles had all hell poured out on them like Jesus did. He experienced that so that we wouldn't have to, so that we could come by faith in Him. Many of us know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, it's not of yourselves, gift of God, it's not by works, lest any man should boast. But I want us to close by looking at these Scriptures together. Ephesians chapter 2, 1-6. through 6. And here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to read this out loud with me. It's going to be on the screen. But I want you to read these six verses. Let this Word speak to you. I ought to make somebody in here shout this morning. You ready? Let's hear you audibly. Read it with me. Here we go. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to this worldly age, according to the ruler of the atmosphere, the atmospheric domain, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and by nature we were children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is abundant in mercy, because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with the Messiah even though we were dead in trespasses. By grace, you are saved. He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. All hell opened up on Jesus so that all heaven could open up for you and for me. We will suffer rejection as Christ was rejected. We will suffer ridicule as Christ was ridiculed. But because Christ took our sins, we will experience freedom. That's the experience of the cross. Would you bow your heads with me? With